We know this story. We've acted it out on the chancel steps. Maybe we've watched it play out on some made-for-TV movie. We've probably even sung along in the mall, offspring of a virgin's womb. We know this story. Gabriel shows up, lets Mary in on God's big plan, and she's like, well, okay. You don't even have to ever have entered a church to know something about this story. We know it. We know this story. And these ones, like the others that we hear time and time again, risk losing what is amazing, what is miraculous, what is precious, because it gets so familiar. Let's dare to look at this with fresh eyes. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, you who both comfort and challenge us, let us hear this story again for the first time. Give us ears to hear and mouths to speak that we might once again be moved by your awesomeness, recognizing what is beautiful. Open our hearts. Open our minds to you, O loving God. Amen. Okay, so we don't know this story. Because the story of Gabriel's announcement to Mary is impossible. And it is surrounded by the impossible. Right before this, in the start of Luke, we have this elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Faithful to God, faithful to one another, but unable to conceive. They can't have children. Zechariah is a priest at the temple, and when he is inside tending to his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says that his wife Elizabeth will bear a child in her old age, and that this child, who is to be named John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah. Zechariah doesn't believe him. And Gabriel says, well, okay, now you can't talk till the baby's born. And Zechariah is struck silent. But sure enough, Elizabeth, with her gray hair and her lined face, the spots on her hands, Elizabeth gets pregnant. Impossible. Maybe this story reminds you of something. If you were here back in September, you might remember us learning about Abraham and Sarah, advanced in age, certainly beyond having children. And Abraham receives this vision of, from God of their many descendants. This time it's Sarah who doesn't believe, she laughs. But sure enough, God comes through and Isaac is born. Impossible. Abraham and Sarah with their son Isaac are the story of the whole people we call Israel began. So since then, every fall, every, or since the beginning of fall, every Sunday, we've been learning about these descendants, right? Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, Ruth and Naomi, David, Solomon, all the way down. The story of Israel that gets us to this point we hear in today's story that Mary is set to marry Joseph, who is descended from the house of David. We are carrying on this same story. 
Now Luke's gospel is pointing to a parallel. God started something big with an elderly and childless couple in Abraham and Sarah. Elizabeth and Zechariah's impossible story suggests God is about to do something big again. So then we come to our reading today, Mary. Mary, a young girl in a society that values men and maturity. This teenager from a little Galilean town called Nazareth, also known as Nowheresville. We have some idea of Nazareth being great because it's in the center of this story that we know so well, but it's just this little town north of Jerusalem in the hills in this out-of-the-way region. Mary is no one from nowhere. And an angel shows up in her bedroom. This story is impossible. Gabriel shows up and says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. It is no small thing to be regarded, to be favored, especially when you are exceedingly aware, exceedingly aware that you should not be. Mary knew her place. She knew who she was. And she knew that this should not be happening. She is a she. She is a teenager, and she is from the wrong side of the tracks. So Gabriel says, God is with you, and she looks at him like he is nuts. The translation we heard today that is that she is much perplexed. The Greek word means to throw into great confusion, to confound utterly. This encounter makes zero sense to her. And he hasn't even hardly said anything yet. Now lately, there has been a lot of media coverage around the multitude of women coming out of secrecy around their sexual assaults. And it has brought forward this global conversation about misconduct, appropriate, inappropriate workplace behavior, about consent, and about entitlement. And women are starting to be believed. Which means forever before this, it hasn't been the case. I'm going to venture a guess here and bet that every single woman in this room, whether on a very small scale, medium, large, has had some kind of encounter and where she didn't say anything, didn't do anything, because she knew it wouldn't be taken seriously, that it would be dismissed or that she would be labeled as overreacting or crazy. And this is modern history. This is polite and progressive Canada. When an angel shows up 2,000 years ago and calls this girl favored, she cannot even understand it. Do not be afraid, Mary. He says, you have found favor with God. Everything in the culture all around her has been telling Mary her whole life and for women for generations before her that she is worthless. And here is this messenger from God telling her that she is favored, chosen, honored, cherished, and that through her, God will bind himself to humanity forever. 
A barren elderly woman is pregnant, and a young teenage girl from a nothing town is favored. This story is impossible. Now Mary herself acknowledges the impossible possibility of this whole thing with God. Her first response to Gabriel is, how can this be? She gives voice to all of our doubts. And Mary articulates for us what we all come to realize in our lives, that we are incapable in and of ourselves of carrying out God's will of God's dream of peace and reconciliation, we are all virgins in this sense. We can't do it on our own. It is impossible. However, Gabriel reminds Mary, reminds us that this is not the end of the story. Gabriel says that nothing is impossible with God. This piece of Luke invites us to think about who we are in relation to God and God's work in the world and challenges us to be reoriented by what the incarnation, what, by what God showing up in this little baby means about God. Theologians, Bible scholars, people whose job it is to think about these things write about what is called the scandal of particularity that this passage brings up. Gabriel arrives at a certain time in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy in a specific place, a town called Nazareth, to a particular woman. The woman's name was Mary. This particularity offends our ordering of things. The omnipotent, omniscient creator of the universe, powerful and beyond our understanding, came into a distinct time and place, choosing a poor teenager to enter the world. The vulnerability of a tiny embryo, of a newborn baby, seems inconsistent with the overarching bigness of divine power. And it is in this moment where we recognize that the same spirit, the same breath that brought light and life to the whole universe out of darkness is going to generate life in an ordinary girl. We are awakened to the truth that it is not God here or God there. It is both. This seeming contradiction teaches us about who God is, omnipotent and particular. And Mary, Mary, extraordinary in her ordinariness, embodies for us that we are all integrally included in the work of God. Now, we don't all respond like Mary to the angels who show up and challenge us, the angels who flip our expectations and change the trajectories of our own lives. If you're anything like me, you kick and fight and scream and argue before you come to what Mary came to, if you do at all. Mary said yes. Yes. Tell God I am a willing participant 
in this beautiful disruption to the world. She goes through this radical transformation in three short verses, from peasant girl to prophet, from Mary to God-bearer, from denial to disciple. For most of us, this is a lifetime journey. Squished into three little verses. This story is impossible. Except nothing is impossible with God. It is tempting to think that the human predicament, war, brokenness, can never be healed or overturned. We might look at this same piece of land today. Nazareth is just over an hour's drive north of Jerusalem. We might look at this world and think, nope, this is never changing. Yet Luke tells us that not only is redemption possible, it's already happened because of the life, death, and resurrection of this Christ. It is the good news that we can barely, we can hardly bear to hear, let alone conjure up for ourselves. Dare we proclaim that God breaks in? That God breaks in to restore, to reveal, to redeem the mess we have made? This is why we prepare for Christmas. These weeks of Advent where we light these candles, these candles of hope, of peace, of joy, of love. This is preparation, not the baking, not the decorating, not the wrapping, not the shopping. Every year we come face to face with God, born into this desperate and hurting world. Every year the holy breaks into our lives in love and like Mary, we are perplexed. We are confused, confounded, because who are we? Who are we to be filled with love like this? Who are we? We are nobody from nowhere. This is why we prepare for Christmas, because we wouldn't be able to stand it. If that love embodied, that love in the flesh just showed up, we need some time to wrap our minds, to wrap our hearts around the impossible notion that God sees us, that God sees us and calls us precious, favored, chosen, cherished. Jesus, our promised Emmanuel, our God with us, barges in and meddles with our affairs and meddles with our very persons. God's call violates the selves we imagine ourselves to be. In our doubts and insecurities, God fills us with the Holy Spirit, making us bearers of a love that really sees, that really loves transforming us from virgin to disciple, from nobody to God-bearer, giving birth to a love that is beyond our own human capacity and that the world so desperately needs. 
this story is impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. Amen.